good morning, everybody. If you are visiting with us, we uh, appreciate you uh, joining us today. Uh, I am uh, Pastor Roger, and uh, we uh, appreciate Paul and, and our, our worship group uh, leading us in, in that excellent praise. And so uh, right now we are going through a, a series in the book of Ephesians. And last week we talked about, in, in Ephesians 4, the uh, fact that he wants us to build towards maturity. And that he has given us, that God has given us gifts to help us grow in that maturity in Christ. Now those gifts were what? The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, the teachers. They are all communal gifts in which we work together and function within the body of Christ. And within that, we build towards a unity of the knowledge, which is also experience, of Jesus Christ and who he is. And so the gifts are not so that we could, you know, prosper in our own individual lives and never have problems and everything work out all the time. That's, that's not what these gifts are meant to do. These gifts are meant to have us grow up, as Paul said, into the head, into Christ, to know him better. Now, I'm recapping last week because where we're picking up this week, as we learn we're going to be building together in this is really just the continuation of last week's sermon. Because I had to stop uh, due to time constraints, and, you know, y'all don't want to be here for three hours. Uh, You know, sometimes you just got to make decisions of where to stop. And I had to stop literally mid-thought where Paul is talking. And so I want you to, to... as best you can, kind of recall last week's. If you weren't here, then, you know, just kind of grab onto what I said about the, the church being a, a huge part of our growth in Christ, that we're meant to work together, and that our goal is not to have a stress-free, blessed life in which everything always works out. Our goal is to grow up into Christ in unity with other Christians. That's what he wants for us in this world. And how that's going to happen is that we will be building together. And so a little bit of overlap from last week, looking at this week, let's look in Ephesians 4, beginning in verse 14, going to verse 16. In verse 14, he starts mid-thought, but he says, so that we have all of these gifts, we have everything that he had, and we grow up into Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves And carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. From whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Now this is an amazing thing that he has given us because he has told us how the, the key to spiritual growth. Anybody in here ever wanted to grow spiritually but you weren't sure how to do it? You're wondering like, what do I do? God, come on. You know, I mean, I pray and, and I try to reach God. What, what am I supposed to do? He just told us. He says he gave us gifts for the building up of the body, for the work of the ministry, and those were the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, the teachers, the body of Christ, and how it functions, and then we will mature, and we do something that is just not part of this world, and it's so simple, we just kind of read past it, and it is, we speak the truth in love. Speak the truth in love. 
You see, what we find in this and what he's showing us is that truth and love are unbeatable. They're unbeatable. But that's not often how we approach the Christian faith, and especially not how we approach. Listen, we are, we are going to get into spiritual warfare in this. He's hinted at it a couple of times. He's kind of introduced it. Spiritual warfare is very much a part of the Christian life that we are going to live. And if we don't wage war according to the scriptures, we lose. We lose. It, it, there is no ifs, ands, or buts about it. We don't do what God tells us to do. We lose. And so he is giving us the foundation for the entirety of the Christian life here in chapter 4. Isn't it amazing that he can do that in just one chapter? In chapter 4, he just gives you, here's the foundation. Here's where you work from. This is how you grow. This is how you are involved in the life of Christ. This is what God has given you to make this work. <clears throat> and so what we have in this section is Paul contrasting the status of an immature Christian or an unbeliever with the actions of a mature Christian. And we need to notice the difference. One is at the mercy of the forces around them, and the other is purposeful and proactive, helping others find their way. What did he say? He says we, have, we will grow, and he says at the beginning, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. That is the life of an immature believer or an unbeliever. An immature believer can live the life of an unbeliever and, and still be acted upon by outside forces and be controlled and, and be manipulated and be tossed to and fro. You ever felt like that in life? Like it's just coming at you from every angle, and you're just like, okay, now I'm here. Now I'm over here. What is going on? Now, he's not saying that life isn't going to attack. Life will always attack. What he's talking about is the core of our belief, who we are, our identity, and our belief system will not be able to be shaken. Now, let me say that again. Our, the, the core of who we are, our identity will not be shaken by what the world throws at us. Now, do we see that in today's world? Our world is having an identity crisis right now. And I mean that, identity crisis. People don't know who they are. And they're trying everything under the sun to find it. You know why they can't find who they are? Because they are not connected to the one in whose image they are created. We know who we are when we are connected to the God who created us in his image. And so if we are either an unbeliever or an immature Christian who does not understand that truth, then the world is just going to keep throwing things at us over and over and over to confuse us as to our identity and our place in the world and who, what we believe. And it will never relent. Satan wants to confuse us. And so... What does he say? He says, we don't want to be that. He says, rather, speaking the truth in love. You see, what does Satan do? He speaks lies in hate. He speaks lies in hate. We and God will speak truth in love. 
and they are polar opposites, and they lead to completely opposite things. What happens when Satan speaks a lie in hatred? It tosses people to and fro, and they are carried about by every wave of doctrine. Whatever, whatever is the thing of the day, we're running to it, and we're giving ourselves to it, and we are being tossed around like a rag doll on the ocean. And all of it is built on what? It says human cunning and craftiness and deceitful schemes. It's all based on a lie. And so it can do nothing but destroy us. And so we see the difference here. One is at the mercy of the forces around them, and the other is purposeful and proactive in helping others find their way. They know who they are, and they help others find who they are. One is constantly out of control. The other is firmly rooted and is moving in a purposeful, fruitful direction with the body of Christ. One is constantly out of control. The other is helping others find control because they themselves are under control. Which means one has a loss of community and is isolated while being out of control, and the other experiences not only self-control, but community, belonging, and a shared sense of purpose. See, this is why lukewarm Christianity doesn't work. This is why riding the fence does not work. Because if we aren't fully committed to Christ, and we're not going to have that sense of identity, then trying to sit in the middle and and relate to the world and to the church in the same time, all we're going to do is be swept up in whatever finally deceives us. Because we won't be connected to God. Not like we should be. We won't know who we are. I'm not saying you're lost, your salvation. If you're saved, you're saved. But that doesn't mean that you're always going to be anchored in the truth. A Christian can be saved, but not renewed in their soul. Not renewed in their mind. And so this is a night and day difference. So how do we get to this place where we are no longer children tossed to and fro? Well, we get there through truth and love. See, in verse 15, he says, rather speaking the truth in love. It's so easy to just read past that really quickly. Yet what Paul is saying is that you have this over here, and then he uses the word rather. He says there's an opposite to that that should be who we are, and we speak the truth in love. Why? Because the truth is the answer for every, quote, wind of doctrine, for human cunning, for craftiness, and for deceitful schemes. What is the biggest enemy of a lie? The truth. The simple truth. A lie cannot flourish where truth is prevalent. A lie will get no traction and no root if truth is celebrated. And so that's why he tells us, he says, all we have to do as God's people is speak the truth in love. Now, the love part is important. Don't don't leave that part out. We we have way too many Christians, not in here, but in in the world, that are like, hey, yeah, I just speak the truth. And it's like, yeah, but you're a jerk. You're mean. You you, you have no compassion for people or what they're going through. And and so if if you, you speak the truth, but nobody will hear it. And this is what we see in Jesus' life. He spoke the truth in love. At no point did Jesus ever affirm somebody's sin. 
Amen? He, and not once. Nobody. He never looked at anybody as like, yeah, just keep doing what you're doing. It's fine. You do you. He didn't do that. What did Jesus do? He spoke the truth in love. And people knew they were loved, and so they were willing to hear it. Now, not everybody was willing to hear it. Sometimes people would hear it, and they're like, no, forget that. I'm out of here. And they would, they would bolt. They would be gone. That's okay. Jesus would let them leave. But what do we see? We see marginalized people. We see people from all walks of life coming to Jesus. And what did he do? He spoke the truth to them in love. He never accepted their sin. But he accepted them as people and then told them, if you want to follow me, this is what has got to happen. Most people couldn't handle that. See, that's one of the things we forget when we look at the life of Jesus, like, oh, Jesus accepted everybody. Not really. He welcomed everybody to listen. But he drove away far more people than ever came to him in faith. Far more. Thousands upon thousands of people rejected him because he spoke the truth. But he was never hateful. In fact, as far as I can tell, the only people he went out of his way to kind of pick a fight with were the Pharisees. And who were they? The religious people. He, he enjoyed picking fights with them. I, there was a part of him that I think he just liked it. And that's okay. But he would speak the truth, and it would diffuse the lies every single time. And I want you to think of it this way. Think of Jesus responding to Satan's temptations. Now, we could spend weeks talking about the temptations of Christ. We're not, we're not going there, but I just want you to think, what were his responses? He's fasted for 40 days and nights. He's on the verge of starving to death, literally. He's so hungry that, that dirt is looking good. And Satan shows up and says, hey, if you're the son of God, just, you know, you, you, you've got power. Go ahead, turn these stones into bread. And what did he say? No, it's written, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. A simple truth. You see, in that moment, Jesus' feelings, his physical condition, his wants and desires did not matter. All that mattered was the truth. And the truth is, Jesus said, I do and say only what the Father tells me. And the Father had not told him to turn stones to bread, so he wasn't going to do it. And it didn't matter how hungry he was, the truth remained the truth. And he was able to overcome Satan's temptation by simply acknowledging the truth. Now, he didn't have to act in love with Satan <laughs> because it was, you know, Satan. But he does tell us, Paul tells us, speaking the truth in love because we're dealing with each other. We're dealing with people made in the image of God. And so we never, the, the church is always in an almost paradoxical situation according to worldly standards. We are called to love everybody and speak the truth to everybody. Now, what does the world think of that? It hates it. Because the world loves sin more than it loves God. The world loves self more than it loves righteousness. And truth will always point out Sin will always. Now, can we point out sin in a loving manner? Absolutely. 
Absolutely. What does it look like? It looks like Jesus and the woman caught in adultery who sends everybody else away. And he says, woman, where are your accusers? And she goes, there, there aren't any. They all left. And he goes, then neither do I condemn you. And then what? Hey, you go do you. What did he say? He says, no, go and sin no more. He tells her straight up, you've got to stop doing what you're doing. I saved your life this time. It might not work out that way again in the future. Stop the nonsense. But he was gentle about it. She was willing to hear it because he was gentle. And so Paul tells us that, that speaking the truth in love is literally going to be the opposite of what the world does. And it's going to be the foundation of the Christian life. Now, how hard is that? Now, what is the ultimate truth? This is what we have to get to because it's not your truth, not my truth. What is the truth? The truth is the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are to be a people of truth, and that's not just truth-telling. That's not just not lying. That should go without saying, okay? But when we, as the people of God, refer to the truth, Ultimately, that truth had better lead to the cross. And that is what I believe Paul is talking about right now, is that we've got to speak the truth, the gospel, in love to each other and to the world. That's what his call is. One commentator put it like this. He says, Paul is not exhorting his readers to truthfulness in general or speaking honestly with one another, however appropriate or important that may be. Rather, he wants all of them to be members of a confessing church with the content of their testimony to be the word of truth, the gospel of their salvation. You see, Satan and worldly people want to take us away from the truth of the gospel. And that finds its way in the church way more than it should. We call it being seeker-sensitive which really just says we're going to water down the gospel and take out all the offensive parts so people who don't believe what we believe will still come to church. Well, what good is coming to church if they don't hear the truth? Now, what good is coming to church if they hear the truth but aren't loved? See, we have to speak the truth in love. And what is the truth? The truth is that Jesus Christ died on the cross for the sins of all humanity, for all mankind. And that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All means all. That means you're a sinner. That means I am a sinner. That means all of us, like sheep, have gone astray. And the truth is, is that if we die in our sins, we spend an eternity separated from God in a place called hell. That's unpopular. People don't like it. But it is the truth. And if I love you, I have to tell you the truth. I have to warn you about the future that you are facing. If you are not born again, that you will have an eternity of endless torture apart from God. But that's not the end of the story because God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. See, we speak the truth in love. I want you to know Jesus because he is the creator of your soul. He is your creator. He loves you, and he wants you with him for all eternity. And if you don't know Jesus, you don't know what you're missing out on. 
you are missing out on life. And so our commitment is to the truth and to love. The love of God as displayed in the gospel. Not what the world defines as love, but what the gospel defines as love. And when that is how we act, then no lie, no scheme, no amount of human cunning can defeat it. But we have to start with the gospel in defining both truth and love. In 1 John 4.10, it says, In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Any definition of truth and any definition of love must begin with Jesus Christ and the gospel. You see, one of the things that, that Satan will always try to do is he will, in any philosophical, any theological, in any cultural battle that we are going to face, one of the first things Satan will try to do is set the terms of the definitions. And we see that in our world right now. They're trying to redefine love as to what? License. Love is love. You know, I, I should just be able to love whoever I want. There, there should be no rules against that because love is love. Who cares if it's an adult and a child? That's what they're leading to. No, you see, that's where we, we say, no, in this is love. If you want to understand love, you look to the cross. What is that? That isn't selfish. That is giving. That isn't what I want. That is what is needed. That is what is right, what is true. We look to truth. We look to the gospel. And so the only way these schemes that he was talking about work is if we take our eyes off of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's when they start to take root. They can take root in the church. They can take root in a personal heart. They can take root in a family. They can take root in a culture. Once we take our eyes off the gospel, all of this other stuff will start to take place. The schemes will start to have effect. We will start to be deceived. And we see it all over. How many in here over the last 10 years have had some kind of faith leader that you looked up to or you read or whatever that has now walked away from the faith and said, you know what, I'm not sure I, I believe that anymore. And you're like, how could that happen? It happens all the time. You know why? Because they took their eyes off of Jesus and they started to believe the lie. The gospel is the root. And what we find as we look at what Paul writes here is that Jesus is the source and the goal. He's the starting point and the ending point. <laughs> now, isn't that convenient? The one with whom we start our faith is the one who will complete our faith. This is what the author of Hebrews says, the author and perfecter of our faith. He is both. He is both the source and the goal of everything that we do. See, through truth and love, here's what he says we are to do. He says we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. The whole body. We're all in this together, amen? We are. It's not about any one of us. He's, he's already said God gave gifts uh, of, of the, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the, the pastors and teachers 
to equip the saints for the work of ministry. What is the work of ministry? To grow up into Christ in every way. And to do it together. To do this in unity. And we have to do it together. We can't grow up into Christ alone. So when people say, well, church isn't necessary. Yeah, yeah, it is. Because you can't do this alone. To say that I don't have to go to church to worship God. Well, one, I'll ask, are you? You know, people are like, well, I can worship God from my fishing boat just as well as in church. Yeah, but are you? Are you actually doing that? Because the more I see a person worships God, the more they want to be with the body, the people of God. Because love is part of who we become. Love becomes a part of our character, and love doesn't like isolation. Love likes community. Love desires to give to others, not to get away from others. And so what Paul has given us here is not a list of accomplishments. It's not a level of awareness or some kind of special knowledge that we acquire. He says we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. Our entire life, okay, let me simplify your Christian life for you right now. Our entire life is about faith in and obedience to Jesus Christ, who is Lord. That's it. My entire life, everything I do in word or deed is to be done to the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's to be done to, to, to spread his renown. It is to be done to worship him. It is to be done to serve him. It is to be done to know him better. And what does Jesus tell us to do? He says, well, a new command I give you. It's not really a new command. It's an old command, but it's a new command too. Love each other. Well, it's complex, isn't it? Love each other. And so in every way, as he says, we are to grow up in every way means to be affected by our experience of Christ so that no part of our life, our mind, our heart, or identity goes unaffected. If there is any part of your life that is untouched by your faith, you're, you're doing it wrong. And we see this in this world right now is what I like to call there's this separation of church and life. And as people come to church, they're one way, and then they go back to their job, and they're another way. And, and it's not even that they're intentionally trying to leave it behind or, or intentionally trying to be rebellious. I'm not saying that they just go live a gross life of sin. I'm just saying they just kind of leave it in here, though. And they're like, yeah, there's you know, God, and I'm there, and I, I went to church, and I go to church, and I believe in God. But then when they get into the, the world, they just kind of stop shining that light. And they get in their routine, and they act a certain way, and then they wonder why there's no spiritual power. We aren't supposed to have that kind of separation of church and life. The God we worship in here, guess what? He's out there too. He's always out there. He's everywhere. And so this is more than knowing the stories about Jesus. This is knowing Jesus so well that transformation and renewal are an ongoing part of your life. And when I say renewal, I'm not talking about salvation. So let's have a, a, a quick moment here to discuss the difference between salvation and renewal. Because this is what is lacking in, in today's church. Salvation is of the spirit. Okay, our spirit was dead. 
Our spirit was separated, it was dead, there's no life. Understand, God is Trinity, right? Father, Son, and Spirit. You realize you're Trinitarian too. Body, soul, and spirit. Three parts, one person. And salvation immediately has to do with the spirit, the quickening of the spirit, the bringing the spirit back to life. Renewal has to do with the soul. And you know what the soul is? What is the difference between spirit and soul? Spirit is your life force. Spirit is is that, that animating force of life. Your soul is your identity. Your soul is who you are. Your soul is what makes you unique before God. It's not your spirit that's unique. Your your spirit is what the the life force that God has given to everybody. Your soul is your identity. It's who you are. It's who God created you to be. And understand, when we are lost, when we are dead in our sins and our spirit is dead, there's no way our soul is going to be what it's supposed to be. And so we will start latching on to anything we can. And understand, we will latch on to some stupid things for our identity. And and nobody in here is immune. We've all done it. And you know how I know that? Because how many of us can look back at a picture when we're younger and go, please don't show that to anybody? Please don't show that to anyone. You know why? Because we're searching. Our soul is searching for identity. And, and yeah, we're still growing. We were younger. And, and, and I'm not throwing stones. But the, it's just the truth that we look at things and we're like, oh, man. Why did I do that? And so our soul is what happens in renewal. The more we walk with Christ, the more renewal becomes a part of who we are in our soul. And we know who we are. And we get anchored in the truth. And our identity takes shape. And we don't need the world to tell us who we are because Christ has already told us. But it requires that we walk with him. It requires that we we spend enough time with him that we pick up the traits that he wants us to have that he's able to teach us who we are and anchor that identity in something that is immovable. And so, I want you to listen because you've probably never listened to this verse in this way. Understanding now what the soul is, okay? I want you to listen to James 1.21. He says, Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, And receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. What's he saying? You'll know who you are. Yeah, we got to repent. We got to get rid of the stuff that's going to lie to us. Lust, greed, pride. What are those? They are self-lies. They are lies that tell us that these things will fulfill you in life and you'll be happy. And you know what? They take away the very thing they promise. They take it away. They destroy it. And they shred your soul. And people forget who they are. And they become desperate and depressed and anxious because they don't know who they are. 
And James tells us, and Paul also agrees with this in this same section. We speak the truth in love because the truth sets us free. But the truth, the first thing the truth tells us is what? Stop doing the things that hurt you. Stop doing the things that separate you from God. You have to stop that if you want to start growing and becoming the person God wants you to be. Because they, they, they cannot coexist. They cannot coexist. And so he says, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. Now, rampant, what does that mean? He's like, because everybody's doing it. Because it's a part of the culture. Because it's a part of the world we live in. That means that it's going to be easy to get caught up in this stuff. That means that it's what the world operates on. It means it's the nature of the world around us. So you are making a choice that will actually be 100% against the culture. It's going to make you weird. It's going to make you stand out. It's going to feel like you're somewhere out there and like, what's going on? But what does he say then? He says, get away from that. And this is where we make the problem. There's too many times we make the Christian life about what we don't do. We don't just not sin. That's not enough. What does he say? He says, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word. When we are saved, the Holy Spirit comes to live within us. The Holy Spirit sets up residence within our being, quickens our spirit. We're alive. God is with us 24-7 at that point. He is within us. And if we will receive the word of the Spirit, which, what is the word of the Spirit? The Scriptures. If we will receive that with meekness, what does it say? It'll save your soul. Which means it'll save your identity. God will show you who you are. And it'll be the true you. The person God created you to be. Unique under heaven. No one else like you. Isn't it amazing that God can do that? That, that? that he, you know, seven billion people in the world and they're all individuals. That's God showing off. Like I, I, every, everyone's a masterpiece. I'm, I'm going to make something unique every time. I'm going to make them unique. But if we really want to know who we are, we have to receive the implanted word. We have to be saved. Then we have to reject the world and we have to receive the word. And it says with, with meekness. You know why meekness? Because Jesus is going to get all up in your business. And I mean that. Everything in your life he's going to disrupt. And people don't like that. None of us likes that. I, we just got to be honest. Like There are times we're like, okay, that's enough. And God is like, no, it's not. Because you're holding on to lies, you're believing things that aren't true, and I'm going to purge it from your system. And so we have to be meek. What is that self-controlled? That means power under control, that we go ahead and allow God to mess us up so he can fix us. And we let it happen. A horse that is meek is one who has been broken and will be guided by the bit and the bridle. Now, is that power gone? No, it's now useful. It's no longer wild, it is now useful. That's what God wants to do with us in meekness. 
We have to be guided by the truth. And you know what? Some of us are pretty stubborn. And God has to do a lot of work to break us. Now, when he breaks us, it's not to hurt us. It is not to bring us down. It is to lift us up. And that's why James says you've got to put away all this stuff. Just put it away because it's distracting you from the good things that God wants to do. And so this means over and over in life, renewal has to be a constant part of our life. Over and over, Jesus is going to put us through the ringer to show us who we are, to grow us, to make us something more, which again is why we focus on what we are becoming. What are you becoming? When you answer that question, you know where God has you in life and what it is he wants you to do. Because what he tells us at the end of this section is that if we stay humble and allow God to change us, as we change, we will support each other in the process. You see, we're not called into this process alone. That's where we make the mistake, because we think that as God gets into our business, starts messing us up, somehow we're out there on an island all by ourselves, we've got to work it out, and when we work it out, then God can use us. You know what? The working it out is what happens in this room and between all of us in here. We help each other work it out, because none of us, and please take note of this, none of us can work it out alone can't because the things he wants to work out require us to love others it requires community it requires the body of Christ working together and how do I know that because he tells us that when each part is working properly it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love which means we are responsible for our efforts in this After we are saved, and I stress this is after we are saved, not before. When we ask this of an unbeliever, it's like asking somebody with with both hands and both feet tied up in knots with ropes to swim. It's like throwing them in the water and being mad that they drown. This is after we are saved and after those bonds are cut, then God says, yes, now I need you to learn to swim. That is my command for you. And he gives us everything we need. He gives us the apostles, prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, the teachers, the body of Christ, the word of God, the Holy Spirit. He gives us everything we need to learn that process. But we are responsible for learning it. And if we don't learn it, If we don't learn it, we will be ineffective in our Christian walk. And there are a lot of Christians that will spend their entire lives ineffective in their Christianity. They're saved. They'll get to heaven. But you know what Paul calls that in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 3? He says they will get there as one barely escaping the fire. He says your work will be exposed and some will have built with precious stones and metals and gold and some will have built with straw and hay and wood and The fire will reveal who we were and what we did in life. And yeah, you'll still be saved, but it will be as one who's just feeling the fire. Just escaping it. 
I don't want that. I don't want that for you. I don't want that for this church. I want us to build on the foundation of the gospel, and I want us to build something that's going to last for all eternity. Because we can. We can. We can build something that will last for all eternity in what we are doing here right now. And so we are responsible for our efforts. Listen how he closes this in Ephesians 4, 14 through 16. He says, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. That's all of you. Okay, every joint, is everybody in here, that you are that. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. We are responsible for building each other up. We are. We are to grow up into Christ, but we are to do it together. Faith is never a purely individualistic pursuit. And anybody that makes you feel like it is is telling you something that is not true. Yes, you are responsible for your own faith, but you are not responsible for growing the church by yourself or just growing yourself. We have to do it together. Nobody is called to grow the church by themselves. That is unfortunately something that has happened in our world with the rock star CEO-style pastors that we have out there now. Hey, we'll just hire this guy and he'll grow the church. And we get people, I'm sorry to say, narcissistic enough to believe that they can do it. And what keeps happening in that situation? They keep flaming out. Flame out after flame out after flame out. And yet somehow they don't look around and go, maybe we're doing something wrong. What does it say here? It says the body builds itself up in love. This is a communal effort. Yes, I have my calling as a pastor, and that is to equip you for the work of the ministry. That is my calling. That's what God wants me to do. That means the work of the ministry is all of us. And my job is to help train you in that. And so, notice that Paul says clearly, when each part is working properly. When each part is working properly. When, it, when the body is functioning as it's supposed to, Hebrews 10.24 becomes reality. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. How have you considered, thought on, meditated on how to stir others up to good works? See, don't overcomplicate the work of the ministry. It's people investing in people to the glory of God and for the, the, the spread of the gospel. That's it. That will never change. So last week I ad- asked a question. I said, how are others benefiting from my growth in Christ? Y'all remember that question last week? I'm going to add another one. What is my role in functioning properly within the body? What is my role in functioning? It says when each part is working properly. So I want you to ask yourself, what is my role in working properly and functioning properly within the body of Christ? Now, if you need help with that, we've got four reminders up here. And notice, this one does not involve service. These two do. If we are growing in Christ, 
nobody should ever just fill a seat for 30 or 40 years. It doesn't happen. You know why? Because you become a worshiper, you're filling a seat. Yes, you are a worshiper, you're learning. You're a student of scripture and prayer. Yes, you're filling a seat, you're being discipled, you're learning, you're growing from those around you. But what happens next? You become a servant witness. Eventually that word starts to take root and it grows and it tells us, hey, you got to do stuff. And, and you think, i got to do what God's telling me to do. That means I should serve. That means i got to help other people. And so we become a servant witness to the glory of God, to the, to the gospel, and eventually we become a disciple maker. Where are you in this process? It's okay if you're just becoming a worshiper. If you're just learning how to do that, it's great. Learn how to worship. If you don't know the word of God yet, you don't have that foundation, then learn it. That's good. We got people that'll teach you. We got some good teachers here. And they will teach you and help you get grounded in the Word of God. But if you've been studying the Word of God and worshiping for 30 years and you haven't moved over here, no. No. You you stalled out somewhere. Now I'm not throwing stones, I'm just saying God God wanted you to move to this side a long time ago. Where are you? What is your place in functioning properly within the body of Christ? And so one of the things that we do in a functioning body of Christ is that we celebrate the Lord's Supper together. Because Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. Because all of this is possible because Jesus died on the cross. See, I emphasize again, none of what we're talking about is possible without first believing that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins. The gospel is the center point of everything. And the night before his crucifixion, Jesus gathered with his disciples, whom he called his friends. And he said, I have eagerly longed to celebrate this Passover meal. And he revealed the meaning of the Passover. And he took the bread and he said, this bread is my body which shall be broken for you. And after he took the bread, he took the cup. And he said, this is the cup of my blood, the blood of the new covenant, a covenant of grace in which you can be saved by grace through faith alone. Just believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. He says, this is my body, my blood, which shall be given for you. And the next day, Jesus gave his life on the cross willingly. He was not a victim. He was not forced He willingly accepted the suffering of the cross. Gave his life so that our sins could be forgiven. He was placed in a tomb. And on the third day, he was raised back to life and ascended to heaven where he is now seated at the right hand of the Father. And we celebrate and remember what he did for us until he returns. And so together, we eat of the bread. And together, we drink of the cup. Father God, we thank you so much for this time together and this day. And God, I pray that you help us to see what our place within the body of Christ is. God, if we need to learn to worship, then we learn to worship. If we need to learn the the to to become a student of of Scripture and prayer, then, God, that we would do that. If it's time for us to become a servant witness, then, God, you lead us to the place where our serving will be fruitful. 
God, if we've matured in the faith where we should be making disciples, then God, I pray you put that burning within our hearts. That we would not be satisfied with anything less than seeing souls saved and discipled. God, use us for your kingdom. Help us to build in your kingdom together, to build each other up, to encourage each other, to invest in each other. Not just consume the word of God, but to build from the word of God. God, this is my prayer for everybody in here. And God, I pray as we go out this week, God, that we wouldn't have that separation of church and life, but God, that we would live for you unashamed. That our faith in you would affect how we work, how we talk, what we do. That we would be your ambassadors in the life that we live outside this building. God, it's in Jesus' holy name we pray together. Amen.